In Acts chapter 26, the verse, one of the verses that Eddie read, it's from Herod, King Herod Agrippa II, verse 28. He said, Paul, he said, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And I think what he's saying, which was the title of the lesson today, are you trying to convert me? Have you ever talked to someone and you get the feeling that they're thinking, they're trying to convert me? And you know what? That's true. And Paul says after this, he says, oh yeah, I'm trying to convert you. And that's what the whole lesson's about. You remember now last Sunday, Felix is gone, Festus comes in as the governor of Judea, and Festus listens again to Paul, you know, the charges against Paul. And then after he listens to those charges, he said, I, I need some help. And Herod, King Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice come in with great pomp and circumstance. And, you know, he was, he was not actually, you know, Festus was the big dog here, but King Agrippa was the guy, you know, he, he was grandson of Herod the Great and so on. We talked about all that, and I won't go into it. But Herod Agrippa II, he, he said, look, I want to listen to Paul too. That's the whole context of our, of our lesson today. He's going to listen to Paul. Now, he is expecting a legal defense, right? He's been charged, and so... Festus says, look, Herod Agrippa II, I don't know if he called him, you know, just Aggie or what he called him, but he said, look, uh, or he called him number two, uh, he, but he, he said, look, number two, I need to know if, I mean, how to word this thing so I can get him up to Rome. I don't think this guy's done anything wrong, and he's appealed to Caesar. What do I do? Help me. Because he knew that Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice, he knew that they were familiar with all the Jewish customs. Herod Agrippa was in charge of the, he was given a couple little responsibilities. Although his main area was northeast of Palestine, his responsibility also included the temple and the selection of the high priest. So he knew about Jewish customs and traditions and he could help him. He said, I want you to help me formulate how I get this guy up to Rome. So that's what the whole chapter is about in Festus and Herod Agrippa's mind. It's not what it's about necessarily in Paul's mind. And we'll look at it from that perspective today. The testimony that he gave was actually a fulfillment of Jesus' commission to Saul on the road to Tarsus, which he stated in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Who's got that? Acts 9, 15. You got it, John? Okay, read that for us. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Okay, so he's supposed to go to the Gentiles and to the Jews and to the who? the kings. This is a fulfillment. This is his opportunity and God's providence and God's plan said, okay, this is time. Give it to the king. And he's going to. He's going to explain very carefully what the Lord wants him to talk about. That's not really what the king wants him to talk about. The king at the end of this whole thing, he said, hey, wait a second. 
are you trying to convert me? Are you trying, you think so quickly you just talk like this and, and I'm going to get saved, become a Christian? And Paul goes on and says, I was hoping so. And, and I, I sort of hope that you, and not just you, whether it takes a long time or a short time, he said, I don't really care. I'd like for everybody that hears this to get saved. That was his desire. This is a whole, what we're, going to, we're going to do something very practical today. We're going to talk about something that we, don't, we rarely talk about and spend time on in our class. We're going to talk about evangelism. <clears throat> and we're going, we're going to work on it a little bit. All right? We're going to be very, be very practical. So we'll get there in just a second. Let's talk about the chapter first so that you understand what all is going on and what Paul says is extremely important. I had Eddie read the one portion that I think is most important in this chapter where Paul relates his testimony. All right? It's third time now Luke has given us the testimony of, of Saul becomes Paul. So now we see all of that happening. And here's what Paul's defense was all about. If you, want, if you follow through the chapter, this, and I think I have it on your uh, notes, Paul's, he gives his introduction. He says nice things about Herod Agrippa, probably tongue-in-cheek. But then, then he goes into his background in verse 4 through 8. He said, I, when I was a child, I was raised like... Uh, uh, in, the, in the strict Jewish tradition and learning. And then later on, I went to Jerusalem and I became a Pharisee. I studied under Gamaliel. He doesn't say all this, but this is in other passages. But he goes on and said, this is what my background is. I was, you know, I, I've got all of this Jewish background. Then verse 9 through 11, he talks about persecuting the Christians. He said, I, I was so zealous thinking that Christians we're really bringing about this heresy of a false prophet, which, you know, I hated. I was so zealous for the God of Israel that I was persecuting these Christians. And then he starts, as he read in verse 12, he tells his story. He tells the conversion story, rode to Damascus, sees a great light, hears a voice, responds, and is converted. Then he goes on in verse 19 down through verse 23. What, is, what does Jesus uh, say when he sees him? What does he want him to do? Well, his commission and calling, which we'll see in just a moment, is to get out and witness to the Jews and then witness to the Gentiles and ultimately get, in, get to Rome. And so the whole world will know about, about Jesus. And he gives, as mom reminded me last night, he gives an invitation. Verse 24 down through verse 29. How many of you grew up in a church, and this will be some of you, grew up in a church that gave an invitation at the end of their the sermon, okay? I thought so. I thought so. So you'll like this. So this is exactly what Paul did. And he said, Agrippa goes, you trying to make me? You trying to convert me or what? Yeah. He said, I am. And everybody else here. And this is all you have to do. And he gave that he's trying to draw in the net right then. Now, this is interesting. You can mark this in your Bible and, and I can go back and look at it later. But Paul makes, he really makes five statements about his defense that I think are important in the chapter. He said in, in verse 5, he said, I lived as a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. He's a very religious, godly home, and, and I even studied and then served as a Pharisee. Now, some people think he was even a member of the Sanhedrin. Paul, even though it said that he voted for people to, to uh, the charges against them, there's nothing that ever says that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, so we don't know. But then he said in verse 13, he said, I saw a light. I saw a light. Now, this is important that he said that. He says it every time because ultimately Jesus, you know, what, what, what was that light? What was that light? You have any idea? What was that light? 
Was it the sun? Was it the moon? Was it, you know, a flashlight? What was it? Huh? It's the glory, it's, it's glory of God. It, the glory, God's glory revealing itself to Paul. He, he got his attention by revealing some of his glory. Remember when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus who, who is God manifested in the flesh and he peels back the, the, the flesh for just a moment and what do they see? They see the bright light on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, Paul got to see it the first time. Wow, look at this bright light. Never seen anything like it. And he is going to use that over and over and over again to say, well, we need the light. We're in darkness. We need light. The people I'm going to are in spiritual darkness. They need light. So he sees, I saw a light. And verse 14, he said, I heard a voice. Why is that important? I heard a voice. Well, the voice identified himself. So I heard a voice. He now knows, when he's on the road to Damascus, he now knows Jesus is a liar. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you know, all this fuss is about, he knows now he's alive. And he hears a voice. He also hears that voice, and the voice tells him that the person that you're persecuting is your Messiah as you persecute my church. So he goes, okay. So I heard a voice. And then another statement in his defense, he said, in verse 19, he said, I was not disobedient. I wasn't disobedient to the call. The King James says it exactly like that. In other versions it doesn't. What shall I do, Lord, he said in Acts 22. I was not disobedient. And then the last thing he said, I continue in verse 22. Again, King James says it very clearly and it fits, it fits my outline very well. So that's why I use it. I continue unto this day. He said, hey, listen, this is a lifetime thing. I'm still doing this. All right, so that's his defense. So... So Festus and Agrippa, that, that was Paul's defense. But for Paul, it wasn't his defense. It was his witness. He is there because Jesus sent him there to be a witness. Not to judicially defend himself against false charges. That's, that's gone. That's over. Festus already said he's not guilty of anything. He needs to, he, and, and Agrippa's going to repeat that. Do you notice that Paul was declared not, not guilty of anything three times? Guess how many times Jesus was declared not guilty? Three times. There's so many similarities in this. It's, it's interesting to study, but we're not going to do that. Okay. Another way to remember this is, uh, I, I think I put this on your list too. What did Paul witness about? Paul witnessed his conversion in the, in the first... 4 through 15, he witnessed his conversion. He witnessed his calling, what Jesus told him to do. And then he witnessed the God's fulfillment of the prophet's hope in a resurrected Messiah. Which is interesting. He said, Moses, the prophets. So he goes back and he said, look, Moses told about this. The prophets told about this. He, you know, he could have quoted Psalm 16. He could have quoted Psalm 22. He could have quoted Isaiah 52 and 53 and on and on and on and on. He said, all of these talk about Jesus, the Messiah. So he's testifying to that. He's witnessing to that. We'll come back and look at the words witness in just a moment. Now, look at verse 18. Turn with me to verse 18. He said, verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Now, that's interesting. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I don't think I ever noticed that till this week when I was studying it. Jesus, it's very important. He said, I'm going to rescue you. 
They're not, until you have completed the witness that I, I want you to complete, I will rescue you. And you're going to need to be rescued several times. I mean, he's beaten, he's, he's imprisoned, and all of these things that happened to him. But Jesus said, I will rescue you. Then he said, I'm sending you. To do what? Okay, here's what I'm, I'm here to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Conviction, open their eyes. Uh, illumination, turn, turn them from darkness to light. You have conversion from the power of Satan to God and to receive the forgiveness of sin. You have sanctification. He said, I'm going, he said, those who are sanctified, set apart by faith, you're different, you're set apart. And then the promise, and this is really good. He said, I want you to preach that they can have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. They have a place. They have a, and the, and the word's very interesting in the original here, that it's, it's this promise that Jesus said that you have a place, you have an inheritance. You have, it, when you say, when they talked about casting lots, he said, you have a lot. Not a lot like, you know, some of you sell, but uh, a lot, you have a portion. And this is my promise, and that's what you're going to preach to them, that they have an inheritance. So it's a good message. So he didn't have any trouble with the message. Now, look at verse 16. I want to point out two things. Verse 16 a circle of word servant and circle of word witness. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. Now, I, I looked at word servant this week, and huperetes is the word. It comes the, the derivative of the word ereso, which means uh, to row, like this, row. It means to row. So, the word serve here is, if you translate literally, so you have H-Y-P-E-R-E-T-E-S is how it's spelled, it's pronounced huperetes, but that, that means to, it under, so it's under row. It's the, literally, it's the under rower. You get where I'm going with this? It's the slave who is rowing on the galley ship, that's what the word actually means, the under rower, the subordinate rower who is down at the bottom, you know, rowing away. He said, so you're a servant, you're an under rower, and you are a, next word is witness. And, and it's the word martus, which is spelled M-A-R-T-Y-S, which is where we get our word martyr. So he said, you're a servant, you are an under rower. <laughs> Nothing glorious about that, is there? Nothing happy about that. Reminds me of that, that story, though, with the guy that was, they, they were rowing down on, in the galley ship, the under rower. And the master came down there and said, hey, I got good news. We're taking a break. And they said, this is great. I've been rowing all day. I said, the bad news is the captain's going water skiing. So, so we all get that later. All right, that's my under rower joke. That's the only under rower joke I have. The, 
the witness is literally a judicial witness. So it's like an eyewitness you have in court. So that's what he said to Paul. You're a servant and, and uh, you're a witness. Now, let's talk the rest of the time we got left, uh, 10 minutes or so we got left. Let's talk practically about evangelism. Let's talk about winning people to Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Paul, what happened to him here when he's talking in front of, of King Agrippa and Festus. Let's talk about what he really was trying to do, bring them the light of the gospel and encourage them to come to Christ. And he was actually trying to win them to Jesus. And this is, a, this is what I want to get into. Now, before I get into some practical things, because we're going, to, we're going to do just like a little workshop here. The salvation is all about a person, not a process. Okay? You can, have, you can have the best process. You can go to soul winning school, and you can go to personal evangelism school, and you can learn, at the, and, and I've been to, I know, I've been to all of them. And we're going to talk about types of evangelism. I've tried them all too, I think, from knocking on doors to revival meetings to mission trips to, I, I tried them all. And so we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's, you can get all of that perfect, and I have, I have done this before. You just, I have, okay, I have the process, knock on the door, have my first question, and then I, if they say this, I say this. If they say this, I say this. And it, that's not the focus today. And somebody who, who has, Debbie, do you have 1 John 5, 11 and 12? This is the focus, okay? And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not the, pra it's not the uh, process. It's you have Jesus, you have life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. But what does he call us to do? To find out if people have Jesus or if they don't have Jesus. And if they don't have Jesus, we've been called as, as little missionaries to make sure to help them find Jesus. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And I like what Jerry Falwell said. Now, some of you are, don't, you know... I think Jerry Falwell's a wacko and everything else. I think he was a, you know, he, he started a great school. He did, he did a great job. But he, he did do something extremely well, and that's evangelism. He reached millions of people for Jesus. And he said this about saturation evangelism, reaching every available person by every available means at every available time. That's what evangelism is. And he did too, man. He, was, he did it in, in fine form. But I'm going to broadly categorize and then we're going to demonstrate the types of evangelism. Number one, the one I think we're most familiar with, personal evangelism, is relational or conversational. Relational or conversational. Now, starting a conversation for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel in normal conversation. And guess who used this the most? Jesus. <laughs> you look at Jesus, most of his, uh, his messages and, and his illustrations and his stories, 
and the things that he did to, to reach people, primarily his method of evangelism was not just preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it was finding Zacchaeus in a tree and Nicodemus coming to him by night and the woman at the well and on and on and on and on. Jesus' method primarily was this, one-on-one. -on -one. This is how I first started and learned to, to witness for Christ. And it, I was, what is the name of that, uh, the accidental tourist? I was sort of the accidental witness. I was more like a reluctant witness. When I was 16 years old, we had a youth group in our church in, uh, in DeSoto. Keith, where's Keith? In our church in DeSoto, Brook Hollow. We had a youth group, and we used to go, we had a, a youth director who got saved, and as we, as I, we used to say, he, he, I mean, he got a full dose of being saved. He got saved when he was 19, and he did not stop. I think he probably had a, a Damascus Road experience because he just, that's all he did. And he was, like I said, he was 19 years old, won thousands of people to Christ. He's pastored in, now in Portland, Oregon for the past 40 years. Tremendous guy. All, he thought we should witness all the time, every day, every place we possibly could. And so we would have Bible study on Friday night for, for a short time, and then we'd go witnessing. And I did not like this, This because I was scared to death. I was, you know, I weighed, you know, 110 pounds dripping wet and full of bananas, and I was scared of everybody. But he said, let's go. We're going to, we witnessed there. We went to, how many of you remember Bronco Bowl? You remember Bronco Bowl? We used to go to Bronco Bowl and walk around and witness to people. Oh, man. I had no idea. And I, I was with these guys, and they were all the, and they were all the football players, and everything else that got saved. So they're big guys. So I just stuck with them, you know. I go on, but I just, I wasn't into it. So finally, one day, we went to, and we went to, all, we went to Keys Park, and we went to all these different places, and we went to uh, some of you might that lived in Oak Cliff, you may remember this. We went to the Heights Theater, off of Westmoreland, I think. All right. Now, we went to the Heights Theater for different reasons than those of you who just recognized the Heights Theater, all right? <laughs> I promise you that. So we went to the Heights Theater, and we were witness to people as they were teenagers, as they were coming out. And so I sat in the car. You know, I went with, I went with the youth director, and I sat in the car, and he had, I remember he's driving a Mustang, and I'm sitting in the front seat. And I said, I am not going in. This is, he said, just come with me, Charlie. Just come with me. And he said, there's some people up there that need to be saved. I go, I'm sure they do, and I'm sure somebody will reach them. It ain't me. He said, just come with me. Ride. Come on, ride along with me. I said, okay. So I'm sitting in the front seat. And I say, dear God, please don't let me get... I'll just sit right here. I'll pray. I'll pray. I'm, I'm the praying witness. And all of a sudden, knock on the door while I'm praying. And he said, Charlie, come on, come on, I need, I need you, I need you. I go, oh, no, you don't need me. So I need you, come on, come on, come on. So I got out of the car, we walked in, he said, he said, come with me. We went into, I know this is weird, we went into the men's restroom because they were all congregating in there. Why were they congregating? To smoke, right? They were all smoking in there. So we were all go, we were going in there, he said, Charlie, this guy right here, he wants to be saved, you show him how to be saved in the men's restroom at Heights Theater. What a revival situation, right? I, so he gave me his little New Testament. Now, I knew the plan of salvation probably better than he did because I grew up in church. 
So I took my Bible and I went through what we call the Romans Road. And I showed him what he needed to do to be saved. And at the end of that, believe it or not, this kid, I, at the end of it, I said, uh, I almost said, you don't want to be saved, do you? But I didn't. <laughs> I said, would you, like to, would you like to pray right now and be saved? He said, I sure would. And I said, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> and so I led him to Christ and changed my life 100% from that moment on. Now, that was my first personal evangelism effort. But we also have other kind of efforts. Events, church services, revivals, vacation Bible school, outreach events. That's a time of evangelism, reaching people. I'm going to talk about servant evangelism, where areas of kindness or service that open the door for the gospel. You know, like the pantry, for example, serving giving open the door and now if we give people all the food they want that that won't get them into heaven but it gives us opportunity to talk to them about it that we might not have before so that's a good opportunity to talk to people about Jesus lifestyle evangelism ever heard of lifestyle evangelism now i heard i've heard people preach against lifestyle evangelism but my definition of lifestyle evangelism it's that living a godly life allows you to open the door to witness to someone about Jesus that's what I call lifestyle evangelism. Invitational, inviting others, invitational evangelism. Inviting others in events where the gospel is being given. Some people, you're like me, you'll sit in that Mustang forever. You will not get out and go do that. So here's what maybe you can, you can do is invitational. You can say, hey, uh, neighbor, we're having a special uh, service or something. Would you come with me? Yeah, I'll come with you. You bring them, they hear the gospel, and they find Jesus as their Savior. Then on mission, a combination, being on mission, a combination of event, servant, invitational. Let me show you a few photos to show you what I mean. All right, this is mission trip. Clint, are you in there? Yeah, there he is in the back. Okay, Here's our, here, here we are in Acuna, the land of great hotels. We're in Acuna, and we're... You know what? We're giving out glasses. We're helping with wheelchairs. We're helping with, with EPS and everything. So go to the next slide. We're, we even help set up stuff. All right? John was good at setting up stuff and also staring down the border guards. <laughs> Part of evangelism, right? Opens a door. Gets us started. All right, go on. And then here's what it's all about. Look at this guy we're helping here in the middle. These, they're all around and they get in a wheelchair and you're praying for them. They don't leave in that wheelchair until they sit and pray with them, tell them more about Jesus. All right, give me another picture. Is face painting a type of evangelism? It opens the door. It opens the door. All right, next picture. Is, uh, is this a jumping contest? Is that what that is? It's a jumping contest. <laughs> They can't get to the other side by themselves. They actually need to cross to get into heaven. From, okay. from a sinful us to work There you go. Evangelism. And, then, and, and helping these kids. While we're in there you know, trying to get them eyeglasses or wheelchairs, here, they're out doing vacation Bible school and help in the cold rain and helping them after they've already had their face painted. All of this, what? So they come to Jesus type of evangelism. It all leads to, and Debbie's helping them you know, these guys, they have nothing. We just go and go door to door. That's one way to do it. I've been on a mission trip. We just go start talking to people. But you know what? 
this opens the door as well. And you open the door, and then Debbie talks to them and gets them all sorted out with their glasses, go to the next picture, and it gives opportunity for us to be a blessing to them and help them and help them with wheelchairs and, and love on them. Next slide. And then I get to take the translator and open the Bible and lead him to Christ. That's what it's all about. So that's, that's the type of evangelism we're going to talk about. Now, let's do this and we'll go home. Let's give a demonstration. Personal evangelism, that's relational evangelism, let's go soul winning, as one preacher used to say. It can be a testimony. You can use what Pastor Steve does so well, the one verse, which is a tremendous way to do it. I don't, we don't have time to go through all of it today. Or we can use what I referred to earlier, the Romans wrote. So, I'm going to lead my grandson to Christ today. So, Britt, come on up. I already told me I to do it. I said, there's nothing else to do but just play like he's lost. All right? Come on in, Britt. I'm going to, you know what? If I sit down, they won't see me, so you've got to stand up. All right. Here's one way to say, I find this young man, and I'm talking to him. One of the ways you can witness for Christ, personal soul way, is by the testimony methodology. So you get to the place where you give your testimony. This is what Paul did, isn't it? In Acts chapter 26, he gives his testimony. So I want to say, Britt, let me tell you something. When I I was about 12 years old, I went to camp. You went to camp this week, didn't you? I went to a camp. They had preaching and everything like that. And I, I grew up in church, but, man, this guy was preaching everything. And, man, all of a sudden I realized that he, what he was talking about is what I needed. He talked about how I could know for sure that I'm going to heaven someday when I die by receiving Jesus into my life and making him the Lord of my life. And you know what I did, Brett? That very night I talked to a man named Jeff and he opened the Bible and showed me, he showed me in, in where it says, for who's in, right here in my Bible, I, I, he showed me right here where it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, you know, have you ever had an experience like that, Brett, where you've come to Christ? No, you don't. You forget, <laughs> you're lost. <laughs> Can't get him lost, you have a hard time getting him saved. Before someone can be saved, they have to have a need. So pretend, I know you have. I know you have. Okay, you were just like I was. You did that just to be rotten, didn't you? Okay. Just like I am. Okay, have you ever had that experience in your, in your life? Yes. No. <laughs> Say no. No. No, okay. We're pretending you're acting. Smart aleck kid. We've got to help you with this part. You've got to do this again. Can I show you, can I talk to you about how you can receive Christ? Yes. Okay. Now, then I would take and I would, I would show him either Romans 6.23 using the one verse method or I would take him through some simple verses in the book of Romans, which I'll share with you in just a moment. If you want to jot this down, do it because it, it's tried and true and it's a great way to get the message across. That's the testimony effort. Now, when you have it, various times bring up various ways to do personal evangelism. All right? So if you're going to do this conversational, relational witness for Christ, this may be the opportunity to use a testimony. Or if it's not, it may be the one verse. How many of you have seen Pastor Steve do Romans 6.23 and explain? Okay, the bridge and everything. Okay, some of you haven't, but let me just explain it. And the way I usually start that off 
is, Brett, I'd like to, you know, talk to you about something that's real important, how you can be right with God. You think that's an important thing to, to know, how you can be right with God? Um, now you can say yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's an important thing, right? I think it's it's important thing to know how how can you connect to God. Would you agree that that's an important thing and how you could be right with him and how you could become, actually become part of his family. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that that's an important thing to do? Yes. Let me, re- let me read a verse, and I would read Romans 6, 23. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death in the Bible is, always means separation. It's like, you know, when you see someone who has died, and you see that body there, but you know they're not alive. Why? Because their life has been separated from, and it's gone somewhere. That soul has gone somewhere. So what, when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the payment for being a sinner is death. Separation. So, and here's where, if you have, again, if you haven't seen it, here's where you can just draw something. And I've seen <coughs> Pastor Steve do it a number of times where he draws the bridge. Man's over here. God's over here, and I'm going to help him connect to God. So, Britt, you've got, you're over here, God's over here. How do I get, I need a bridge to get over. There's a big gap. It's where my sin is. My sin separates me from God because God's perfect and holy, and he created me to live holy, and he created me to live like him, but I didn't do it. I, I, you know, and I'm just like everybody else because the Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. So how do I get from here to there? Some people try to get from here to there by going to church, but God doesn't say that. God says there's only one way you have to deal with that sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then Pastor Steve draws a bridge that shows the connection going over uh, the cross, I'm sorry, that it's the bridge. And he, he talks about it, said, now, Brit, Jesus died on the cross. You've seen the story of the cross before, haven't you? You've heard about the story of the cross. Well, uh, that's, that's what Jesus did for you so that you can, can connect to God. He paid for your sins on the cross. By him dying on the cross, that gives you the opportunity to come to God through him and forgive me my sin cleanse me and come into my heart and life and then I'll, I will usually pray with it let me give you one more step I, now I've shortened that way up as you know what I grew up on and and I think it's an effective way another way I probably use a combination of all of these when I witness or get a chance to talk to somebody it's called the Romans road because it's laid out so clearly you might want to jot these verses down and you can use these verses Brett, the first thing to coming to Christ and, and, and getting to know him and know Jesus as your own personal Lord and being able to say, I'm right with God, I've got this thing settled, and I'm going, the first thing to do is to recognize that we can't get there without him because we're sinners. Romans 3.10 says, there are none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, Brett, the first thing before you come to Christ is to say, okay, I know I'm a sinner. Do you have any problem with that? Do you understand that you're a sinner just like yes. I'm a sinner? Okay. Now, 
Brett, the, so Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that there's a payment for that sin. The wages of sin is death. And I talk about the separation issue and the fact that, that the wages of sin is death. I said, but God is a gift for you, and it's eternal life. He wants you to be with him forever, and you can be with him forever. Um, would you like to know that when you die someday, you will be with Jesus forever in heaven? Well, let me show you how, what the Bible says. And then I turn over to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, it says, if you'll confess with your mouth uh, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe that he's a living Savior, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 here, and I'm showing in the Bible, it says right here in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's a promise to you. It's a, you put your name in there, Brett. You will call upon the name of the Lord right now. now Brett, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer. You mean it in your heart and ask Jesus to come into your heart. He listens and he'll hear you and he'll save you right now. Would you like to do that? Yes. Okay. Thanks, Brett. Go sit down. And then I would take just a moment and I'd lead him in a simple prayer. And the prayer would be just from your heart. I'd say, dear Lord, ask him to pray. Because, you know, people, you know, have, you know, difficulty understanding sometimes in this, in this process of personal salvation. I say, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Uh, I pray you'd forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. I pray that you would come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, you think a simple prayer like that? Uh, that's what I prayed when I got saved. Uh, that's what the Bible says, that you pray when, when you get saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, that's the different types of evangelism, I believe. Here's our challenge. Get involved in all of them. Get involved in all of them. And maybe it's invitational. Uh, maybe it's an event. Maybe it's on mission. But you know what? God's called us. We, we come and we study every week. We study verse by verse by verse. And we grow. But you know what? God's put us in this world to be a light and help so many people that need Jesus. This morning, I don't know, I didn't look. Some of you snuck. Some of you prayed like this this morning to see how many people raising their hands. But, I, you know, there's no telling how many people got saved. Last month at the Next Step meeting, we had 105 people at the Next Step meeting. 14 people raised their hand and received Jesus at the Next Step meeting. I can't wait to see what it's going to be tonight. Every opportunity, everywhere, every place, everybody. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this example that Paul gave us. Uh, not just reaching out to the king, but everybody was there and said, not just you, King, but uh, I'd like everybody to be saved that's under the sound of my voice. Give us opportunities in Jesus' name. Amen.